Jessica Love is an author and illustrator based in Brooklyn, New York. Jess was raised by artist parents in Southern California, where she studied printmaking and illustration before going on to study acting in New York. Her debut picture book, Julian is a Mermaid, is a beautiful story about self-confidence, love and celebrating individuality. We were thrilled to catch up with Jessica on her recent visit to the UK, where she met with Nikki Gamble to talk about her work and future plans. I was really interested to read, uh, Jessica, that uh, you grew up with art in the family, artistic parents. Were they practising professional artists? They are. They, um, that is their full-time job. My mom is a, a basket weaver uh, and my dad is a potter. And they work in organic found materials and their work is collaborative. They have a studio behind our house. I grew up in um, in the middle of the Los Padres National Forest in Southern California. They have a little cabin and that's where my sister was born. It's where I grew up and their studio is just out back. Okay. It sounds idyllic. I mean, what did, uh, as, as a young child growing up, what sort of impact did that have on you, that very creative, uh, working with your hands, crafting environment? Oh, it, it shaped me, absolutely. And because they worked from home, I was able to... They were around a lot, and, you know, they would just roll me out a big sheet of butcher paper and toss some markers my way, and I was good to go. All I wanted to do was mm. draw. So it sounds like it afforded... A lot of freedom. Yeah. And freedom is a sense that comes through quite strongly in Julian, which we'll come to uh, in a little while. But you then pursued art yourself, didn't you? As a, a, I a did. training. I did. I had an art scholarship. So I was, I was a studio art major, but my plan was actually to be, at the time, was to be an actor. I've always done visual art and um, plays sort of side by side. So I was I was an art major, but I was doing plays, and I was in an, a comedy troupe, and that's what I spent most of my focus on um, when I was in undergrad. And then I went to grad school at uh, Juilliard in New York for drama, and that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years, I guess. Mm. Yeah. So I'm interested in uh, a game, which I think will feed into us talking about the picture book, I'm interested in the two things that uh, you studied alongside each other, words and Mm -hmm. non-words. I was talking to a poet yesterday um, who has written in one of his novels that um, art is important for expressing the emotions where words fail. Mm. I don't know if you agree with that or or how you see the words and images working together. I, I completely agree. I love language. My grandfather was a poetry professor and there's a great love of language in my family um but the way that I that I create story is is very visual I I understand it in pictures Mm -hmm. um and I think there's a kind of proto-language access to someone's inner life that you can get at with a picture that it provides a really useful shortcut, I think. You can have whatever opinions or prejudices 
that you have accumulated over the years. But when you see a picture, a photograph, or a drawing of someone's face, and they're in pain, there's something that happens in our brain where we recognize that feeling, and for a second we have a flash of it in our own brain and body. I mean, there's science to back this up, right? Mirror neurons. But I think there's a really interesting shortcut that visual art allows for. Isn't it interesting, though? Because it is ironic that, uh, you know, here we're recording for a podcast and I'm going to try and get you to verbalise <laughs> all that. And we do the same with children in school. It's, it's as though it has value once we try to get them to articulate and to verbalise it rather yeah. than the mark-making mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. Being the thing that is possibly the most potent and it's the most It's the most direct, mm. I think. If you want to address a child directly, um, you know, through a book and sort of sidestep the parent or the educator completely, you can use pictures Mm -hmm. and they get it. So it's a fascinating background. Uh, So it would be interesting to know then what your journey was to creating a picture book for children. I had been working as an actor... um, living in New York and doing plays, traveling around the States, working regionally, doing new plays and some classic stuff, but like a jobbing actor. And uh, I met someone on a play, we fell in love, and he had an older brother who was born a girl. Uh, He's a trans man, but he had been living his life as a woman because when he first tried to come out he was he just didn't feel he had the network or the support to do it at the time and so he had been living a performance of himself mm-hmm. for the last you know 25 30 years and when my ex and I first got together he he had just transitioned to living as a man And it got me curious about, because some of the questions he was faced with were like, how are we supposed to explain this to the children in your life? Are we just supposed to tell them that their aunt is now their uncle? Um, Which actually is a pretty lucid way of explaining it. Mm. You know, kids, all aspects of the world are equally banal and incredible when you're little. And Mm. so I think a, a simple explanation works as well as anything else but it got me it just got me curious about what kind of books there were out there um for little kids grappling with these questions and I started reading all these online forums where parents from all over the states would talk about uh their gender non-conforming children and another another thing that was sort of influencing this is I was I was watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race and um, the uh, documentary Paris is Burning, uh, which is about the drag ball scene in New York in the 1980s. It's a really stunning piece of filmmaking, and it's a it's a glimpse into um, a world that I wasn't familiar with, but I was deeply moved by. And 
I just I got this idea for a story in which a little boy has has an encounter on the subway or the tube as you call it because and I don't know if that if this is the case here but in New York the the subway kind of functions as this portal through which you get to encounter every kind of person that lives in New York City which really is every mm-hmm. kind of person mm-hmm. um and everyone's all crammed mm-hmm. together and it's an mm-hmm. incredible opportunity to have your mm-hmm worldview broadened Mm -hmm. so I knew I wanted the encounter to take place in the subway and at first my idea was that he would see a pair of uh, drag queens on their way to a drag ball but then as I was reading all of these um, blogs and forums there was this theme that kept coming up again and again of the kids having this thing about mermaids Mm -hmm. and I think there are a variety of theories as to why that is it's a they're magical creatures they live between two worlds the hair is quite important the hair is very important Mm -hmm. um and there's no there's nothing below the waist to make that determination Mm -hmm. for you um but also they're just they're awesome so there's there's an event in New York City uh, at the beginning of each summer. It's been going on for decades now, I think, uh, called the Coney Island Mermaid Parade. Oh, right. And it's it's sort of it's an artist parade where people will spend you know the whole year working on their costumes, and it's incredibly creative. People from all walks of life show up, covered in glitter and channeling their inner sea being and is this participated in by all gender all genders all walks of life all ages Mm. it's a really beautiful awesome thing and it's also in coney island which for the i know that most of your listeners probably have never been but it's an iconic uh new york boardwalk and it's a little bit like grungy, gritty, and it's a real taste of of the city in all its dirty glory. So this is located very specifically then. Julian as a mermaid is located with that in mind. Yeah, it is. So that's that's what that parade at the end of the of the book is. But I don't think you really need to no. know that to go with the story, but no. yeah, it is it is mm. a real thing. Mm. Perhaps we should actually tell people a little bit about Julian as a mermaid before we uh hone in on some of the detail it starts he and his and his nana are at her water aerobics class at the gym and he's swimming underwater while she's exercising and they they leave the gym and they go into the subway and he's reading his little picture book about mermaids because he loves mermaids and onto the train step these three gorgeous ladies who are dressed as mermaids on their way to the parade and his jaw just drops and as he's staring at them um, we sort of enter into his imagination fugue state where the train slowly goes underwater and fills with a swirl of fish and his hair starts to grow Mm -hmm. and his tail emerges and he's transformed into a mermaid and then this big indigo star-covered fish approaches him with a necklace that he's about to hang around his neck when his grandmother 
shakes him out of his reverie, telling him it's their, it's their stop. So they get off the train, and he waves bye-bye to the ladies, and as they're walking through the neighborhood in Coney Island, he says, did you see the mermaids, Nana? And she says, yeah, I saw them. <laughs> and they get back to her apartment, and he says, I'm also a mermaid. And she says, uh-huh, I'm going to take a bath. You be good. And while she's in the bath, he does what any logical child would do, which is to build himself a mermaid costume out of what's lying around the apartment. Uh, so he he makes himself a crown out of her sleeping mask, and he pulls fronds out of her fern plant and flowers out of her vase, and he puts on her lipstick, and he pulls down her lacy curtain and makes himself a tail while simultaneously sort of destroying her apartment. And just as he's completed his look and is posing in the mirror, she comes out and catches him, and there's a moment where, a moment of doubt where you can't tell if he's... She looks a bit cross. Yeah, it's an, it's mm. an, it's an ambiguous face. Um, you don't know if he's in trouble mm. for destroying the apartment or not, but she, because she just walks off the page... But then she comes back, and she's all dressed up to go out, and she has something behind her back, and she says, come over here, and it's one of her necklaces. It's a gorgeous moment. Oh, thank you. She hangs it around his neck, and she takes him by the hand and takes him outside, and he asks where they're going, and she says, you'll see. And she walks him through the neighborhood, down to the boardwalk, where um, everybody is rushing to the parade, and left and right you see people dressed as mermaids, octopuses Mm -hmm. lobsters but all dressed up and covered in face paint and glitter and he's enraptured and uh, and he says mermaids and she goes just like you let's join the parade and then they do and that's the story Wonderful. So you've explained the kind of context uh, for this for the story mm-hmm. and why you wanted to uh, create it. I wonder if we could have a little look at how you went about this because it's such a gorgeous. I mean, I love these women, and we can see his nana and four ladies, other ladies of a certain age, mm-hmm. and they're glorious, but they're not. You know, they're quite large and. Uh, these look as though they're drawn from life. I was going through, when I was doing the final art for this book, I was going through a, a real heartbreak. And my my therapy was I would swim every day. And uh, because I was an actor at the time, I usually had my days free and I was working at night. So I would be swimming at like lunch hour, which also happens to be when the water aerobics classes usually oh, are. Yes, yeah. And there was something I found so comforting about sharing this green water with these older, stately beings. Who can be so graceful in the water. Because water feels like a symbol of freedom in this book. It is. Water is a very... I grew up by a river, um, which I lived in during the summer. and And I especially loved swimming underwater. Um, I, I lived my life as a mermaid in the summertime. But I think there's a real privacy that you can get when you're underwater that's different. It really is a different world. It's almost like going 
into the element of your own inner life. Mm. I found it really therapeutic. So it starts with this gorgeous uh, image and do you are these watercolor do you use watercolor it's watercolor and um gouache so that's why it's a bit stronger yeah so gouache for those of you who don't know is it's it's like watercolor with chalk added so it Mm. watercolors are um meant to be transparent Mm. always and you can get uh an opacity Mm. with gouache that you can't really achieve with watercolor so the so the water and the more opaque tones in the book are gouache, but like the character's skin uh, is watercolor because the paper is already right. brown. Right. So mm. I and, would just tone it a little bit. And does it involve a lot of life drawing for you? Because the movement of these characters look as though you're somebody who draws. I am someone who draws, but these are all from my imagination. Mm. The, the little boy, he's sort of... Julian is sort of based on my ex, what he looked like as a little boy. Um, but the but the grandmother, I she sort of walked mm. walked into the room fully formed. But she's not based on anyone in particular. Mm. I'm looking at the double page spread with Julian with his picture book open, and obviously his imagination starts to work. The picture book drops. He's taking off his shirt. He's falling into the water, his hair's expanding, and there's this sense of freedom. I think there are cer- there are certain images that are almost mythic, yeah. and it's like they exist, I don't know, maybe unconsciously. You see it so many times in picture books, the kind of falling from one world yeah. into another. I like that idea of almost like being a kind of mythic. Yeah. Almost like a fairy tale. And the other thing that really struck me, but it's incredibly dynamic, this book. So here I'm looking at a wonderful sweep of fishes. You can tell which direction they're swimming in. They're being led by this terrific ray (laughs) at the front. Uh, And Julian's exuberance, he's just lifting his arms in the air here and going along with literally with the flow. Yeah. So movement's quite strong um, throughout the book. Um, I think there's the falling, yeah. there's the wind blowing, the curtains. I like a thing that, that you... I think the more physical an image is, the more you, f- you feel it more vividly in your own body. I wanted, with that spread where the fish are swirling around his body, I wanted you for a second to feel that... The, the way it feels when a fish brushes mm-hmm. up against you and it's exhilarating and a little mm-hmm. bit scary and mm-hmm. my hope for the whole story is that because the bodies feel like real bodies with flesh and weight and hair and bones that it would make empathy a, a more of a physical experience mm-hmm. um, because you can't help but but imagine for a second what it would feel like if that were you yeah in terms of the approach to uh, the book, uh, the text is sparse because it, it doesn't need to have more in it. Yeah. Um, could it have worked without any text at all, do you think? No, it could not. Right. I'm going to tell you why. So um, when I first uh, sold the book to Candlewick, I had drawn the book from beginning to end probably four times. So the visual journey was pretty complete and hasn't hasn't changed that much it's been refined and condensed but the it was pretty clear what the story was but I hadn't really done the text yet 
Um, and when I sold it, we never really had this conversation, but my editor, Katie Cunningham, was under the impression that it was, was meant to be a wordless picture book. But we'd never had this conversation. And then just maybe like a month before we went to press, I said something like, we really need to figure out, I need to, I need to bang out what this text is actually going to be. And she was like, sorry, <laughs> this is a wordless picture book. And the reason it can't be wordless is kids assume he's a girl if you don't have... The first, the first sentence in the book is, this is a boy named mm. Julian. And without that, you just assume it's a girl with short hair. I've done a lot of childcare and nannying, and I would, without telling the kids anything about it, I would show them the book without any words, and I would say, tell me what's happening here. And they would say, that's a little girl with, his, with her grandmother, and she's a mermaid, and they would talk me through it. But without fail, they would assume that the child was a girl, mm-hmm. and that's why you need the text. It's a really important point in here, and that is that there is a certain freedom mm-hmm. afforded to girls mm-hmm. in as much as there is a greater variety of common acceptability of that's right of, of appearance yeah um no in a way that it's not an issue that it becomes an issue the other way around for people a girl with with short hair is going to get fewer side looks than a boy mm. with long hair mm. but i also think there's another issue uh, uh, given the personal story that you've related here um, you've actually chosen a boy rather than a girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, it has to be, in a sense, for, for this story. I think that, that makes sense. But when we're looking for, uh, at Just Imagine for books that tell the other story, mm-hmm. there's virtually nothing there. I know. I've, I've noted ever since, ever since this book came out and I've become a little bit more aware of what's out there, that's a thing that I've heard again and again. There's mm. almost nothing. I mean, there's stuff about, like, girls who want to work in traditionally male-dominated lines of work, you know, Rosie Revere engineer Mm. or Ada Twist scientist Mm. and books about tomboys. But in in terms of like a trans experience, Mm. you're right, there's there's not much. Something for us to keep thinking about Mm -hmm. uh, for definite. And uh, it does strike me that it's important having... Uh, worked alongside children in school who can see that is an issue mm-hmm. for them and thinking top end of primary into secondary as their identities really forming and I I think it actually can manifest itself in quite a lot of anger yeah um, so you know I do think we have to be aware yeah of those things um so I wanted to ask you, uh, Jessica, you, are, you should be very delighted and proud of the reception that the book is getting. What were you most pleased with when you'd completed the project? So doing plays, obviously, you have a pretty direct and immediate experience of the people that you are doing the work for. They're in the room with you when you're doing it. And you can tell in the moment whether they're with you or not. Mm-hmm. But with this, I finished the artwork and then four months went by and then it was finally available for purchase. And people started reaching out to me through Instagram mostly. Parents with kids like Julian saying, 
our family needed this book. This this story is so representative of what our experience is like. And the thing that parents kept saying is the problem with so many of the books that are kind of addressing this experience is it's presented as a problem. And mm-hmm. the and the story is a story of conflict and bullying, which oftentimes if the child hasn't encountered that yet, it hasn't occurred to them that the way that they are is a problem until they read these stories. Mm-hmm. And so it was a profound and continues to be a profound thing to know that the thing that you've made has has ended up in the hands of the people mm. you made it for. And I've never really had that experience before. I think the other thing that comes from it being non-didactic and quite open is that actually this could represent lots of different kinds of experience. Not every little boy who wants to put on a dress will necessarily go on to be a child that feels that, you know, it's a trans yeah. issue for them. There are all sorts of reasons. It's only the way that society is structured that says yeah. that we don't. Well, there are plenty of societies where boys do wear dresses and yeah. men do wear dresses. Yeah. So it's all culturally constructed. Totally. So some it's... will go on and it will be coming from that place, but yeah. for others it will be coming from a different place. Yeah. And we don't really know with Julian. It can be coming from many different places. I wanted it to be specific enough that it felt real, Mm. but not prescriptive. Mm. So now that you're in the world of children's books, (laughs) are we keeping you? Is there something more coming? Oh, yeah. I love it here. (laughs) I'm going to stay as long as you'll have me. Um, Yes, I've started work on... My next book, which is going to be with Candlewick that I'm writing and illustrating. And then I'm working on a book um, just as an illustrator. And then I'm doing another one mm-hmm. that's just me. So that's, I guess, the next three years. Okay. And are they going to be addressing similar themes, ideas, and issues? Or are you just treating each book on its own merits as it arises? So the the last one that I've signed a contract for is going to be in the Julian is a Mermaid universe. I'm going to set it in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. Um, I haven't quite worked out what the story is yet, and I don't know if it's going to be like a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be it'll be the same sort mm-hmm. of urban environment with the people that I mm-hmm. see in my neighborhood every day. But I don't I don't quite know what the story is. That's fantastic. Because, of course, this book came from a very specific impulse. Yeah. Writing a second one is coming from a different... (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to... I didn't approach this Mm. as like a... I'm going to write a really woke children's book. I mean, it was just the story that I wanted to tell. And I don't think you can... I don't think you can BS your way through that kind of thing and I, th- I think that would be a pretty cynical way to approach it actually to try and make that my like calling card yeah Jessica I'd really like to thank you for joining us in the reading corner giving us some insight into where Julian is a mermaid came from um, it has been really fascinating talking to you and very uplifting so thank you thank you so much for having me